And you can somewhat feel the anticipation, especially from our children, maybe our grandchildren. Can you feel the sense of anticipation that Christmas is around? Uh, I was thinking this morning, we didn't have quite the trouble getting our children up this morning. Now, I know it's not Christmas Day and they'll probably just jump out of bed tomorrow. But there was still that sense of it's Christmas Eve. You know, only that happens at my house, obviously. (laughs) But it's Christmas Eve for my children and they're thinking about the day we were on the way over here. We were talking about going to church. We were talking about the different things that we had to do. We said maybe we'd get to uh, put together some little, what what do they call Leslie? Those little houses, those little homes. What did you say? Everybody answered that, huh? There you go. Gingerbread houses. Thank you. So we, we get to do that. this And, and I, I was informed we don't have time. We have too much going on. The kids said that. We have too much going on. There are so many things around the Christmas season, the Christmas holiday that we get to do. But how awesome is it that we get to stop as a church, as a people of God, to glorify His name? To praise Him for who He is. You know, there was so much anticipation on that, on that hillside. In those fields. So much anticipation of the coming Christ and the Messiah. There among those shepherds. The angel appeared and announced to them good news. The good news that the Savior, the Christ, the Lord had been born. That was... The announcement. And then if you remember the follow-up to the announcement, all of these angels, a great chorus of angels themselves began to sing out glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest. I want to talk to you today about the glory of God. Because on Christmas Day... This earth began to behold the true glory of God Himself through the Son, Jesus. And that's what we get to celebrate today. In a sense, we get to talk about the glory that He deserves. Now, I know that sometimes when we use words in the church, I mean, we use certain terms, it is hard for us to grasp or really to understand. There are times that we use churchy words because we are in the church, right? You expect churchy words. And sometimes we don't necessarily explain those. Sometimes we're, we just kind of use them almost without any type of meaning or at least without a true understanding of what we're talking about. So glory is one of those churchy words. You've heard it many times through the years. The glory of God or we should give glory to Him. You've heard it over and over. There was a preacher down south. Some of you may have come out of his church. I don't know for sure, but I used to serve on a committee with him. And every time something would come up, he would say, well, glory. (laughs) We just got where we were just ready for that exclamation to come from him every time. Glory. What does it mean? Well, obviously different context of the scripture. It means different things. But in a sense, it, it means greatness. It means honor. It means worth. It means praise. I mean, if you read through it, you can hear that glory to God in the highest. That praise, honor to that God. The one who is worthy. When we talk about glorifying God with our lives, the idea of glory is that 
we would do what He created us to do. That's the true definition of us giving glory to God is when His creation does what we were created to do. Because when we do what we were created to do, when we worship, when we praise, when we serve, when we go on missions, when we do what we were created to do, then He receives the glory. Because He is our Creator. He is the one who made us. And Jesus Himself exemplified the perfect life, the perfect mission. And Jesus Himself was God's glory. As it was displayed in Bethlehem and then later in His life. It's a strange passage I know in Mark chapter 9 to use for a Christmas Eve morning. Come back tonight, I'll give you a little more Christmassy story, okay? But I think it's important to connect Mark chapter 9 with this glory of God, of being able to see Jesus and His glory as it is demonstrated in the transfiguration. I, w- I want to look at verse 1, okay, of chapter 9. It says, And He said to them, Assuredly, it's kind of the word we would use, Amen. In other words, it counted true. Verily I say to you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. So Jesus speaking to His disciples and He says, Hey, Understand that some of you are not going to die until you see the glory of the kingdom. Until you see the power of the kingdom. That sounds like an awesome promise to the disciples. And so many have tried to understand that about whether or not they would die before the second coming and all of that kind of stuff. And there have been so many questions. Well, Jesus, Jesus certainly has not come for the second time. There's only been one advent and the disciples died. What happened? Jesus demonstrated His glory, the glory of the kingdom, in these next few verses to these disciples. Look in verse 2. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, this inner circle. He brings them in and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. I believe, I believe personally up around Mount Hermon, there in the north of Israel. And He was transfigured before them. Here in this passage, you'll see where he displays the glory of God, okay? He displays God's glory for these disciples. He goes up into this mountain. And of course, if you read the scriptures, you'll often see this idea of the presence of God associated with mountaintop experiences, right? We even talk about those good, wonderful experiences we have. We talk about those as mountaintop experiences. We've used that same terminology. So there he is going up on the mountain with these three and it says that he is transfigured he is changed he demonstrates God's glory the word transfigured means it it really means to be metamorphosized like that word didn't think you were going to hear it on Christmas morning Christmas Eve morning it's like a metamorphosis it's a change you've heard that word before it's literally what's used here to talk about there was just an outward change in his appearance And we're given this appearance in verse 3. It says, His clothes became shining. Some translations may say that they glittered exceedingly white. They were radiant like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. I love that language. Some of you moms and dads, don't you love that language? I mean, you could apply as much 
bleach as you wanted to, it wasn't going to get any whiter. I mean, he was radiant. It was an unbelievable sight that you see of Jesus, the true glory of God here in this passage. Thomas D. Lee said for the disciples, or actually the transfiguration, was an open display for the disciples of the glory of Jesus before the incarnation. Think about this just a moment. Lee said that what they were experiencing in Jesus, what they saw, this glory that he had, it was, it was an open display of his glory before the incarnation. In other words, before he came to Bethlehem, this was the radiant glory that you would have found in Jesus. It is so hard for us to comprehend this. At least it is me. Now, I know I'm from Mississippi. There are a lot of things for me that's hard to comprehend, all right? But this is hard. I mean, usually when we think about Jesus, we think about His beginning in Bethlehem. We think about this birth. That's what we're celebrating. But no, Jesus existed before Bethlehem. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So yes, we come to celebrate the birth of a baby, of a Savior. But we understand that this was God from all time, for all eternity. He had been God. And He retained His deity when He came to us in human flesh. He had been the glory of God. He continued to be the glory of God. And this is just a glimpse of the radiant brilliance of the sun. Notice it says that He appears to them like this. And if the scene could get any greater, verse 4 it says, And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So you have this scene, this Jesus, He's radiant, brilliant, He is white as can be, and He's sitting there and He's talking to Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Of course, first of all, they're dead, right? For them to come upon the scene is just unimaginable. But then to think that these two represented in so many ways the greatness of Israel and certainly the greatness of the revelation of God Himself. Most of the time when you would take Moses and Elijah, you would think of the law and the prophets, which would be the Hebrew canon, the Hebrew scripture. And here Jesus is speaking with them on this mountaintop experience. And Jesus is displaying the glory of God. But He is also declaring God's glory through this. Because whereas you see Elijah and Moses synonymous with the revelation of God of the past, now Jesus is demonstrating to us a greater revelation of God's glory. It says they're talking about one another in verse 5. And verse 6, really, those two verses I love because it just injects a little bit of humanity and maybe even a little bit of humor in the midst of a glorious transfiguration. Look look at this, verse 5. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, 
One for Moses and one for Elijah. So Peter sees this great moment. I mean, there's a moment of glory. Jesus is displaying it. I mean, the glory is being declared. So what does Peter do? Peter says, hey man, maybe we need to memorialize this place. I'd like to stay here for some time. I, I would like to just, I'd like to just capture this moment. You ever had moments like you just wanted to like just, you wanted it to just freeze time, right? Man, I tell you, you're an exciting bunch this morning. <laughs> Maybe it's not now that you're hoping would freeze, you know, just. But, but have you had those times? I mean, those times you just like say, hey, I just like for time to stop. Just let me enjoy this. Maybe it's when you tuck your child in at night and just watching that child sleep. God, just, just pause for a moment. Let me enjoy this. Maybe it's the birth of a child. Maybe it's the beginning of a new rela relationship. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's, maybe it's when you bite into a lemon ice box pie. Maybe it's when you're trip and Disney World. You just want it to stop because, I mean, it's such a great moment. Some of you have had that in church life too, probably, right? You, you remember some of those days? I'm talking about in the church life where you knew like God's presence all of a sudden just, he just filled the place. Now we know that we're two or three gathered. There he is also. I know that. So don't give me some theological lesson. But you and I know that there are certain moments that it was just a special manifestation of God's presence. You couldn't explain it. You don't know how it happened. You don't know exactly why it happened. All you know was God was there. As some of my old friends used to say, God showed up and He showed out. It was something just incredible. And you just wanted to stay there. It was like kind of like you didn't worry about, you didn't weather in whether or not the Methodist beat you to lunch that day, you didn't worry about any kind of other thing going on. You just were caught up in the presence of God in that place, and it was like, we just need to stay here. That's what Peter said. But get this. This is what I love about verse 6 when I said there's a little bit of humor. Because Peter said here, he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Now, Mark was the interpreter of Peter as he's writing this gospel. So this is Peter's personal testimony. So it's kind of like he's telling Mark, hey, I, I told Jesus, I said, you know what? We need to build these booths. I mean, it's kind of like the Feast of Booths, the tabernacles when they would build and those and remember how they had moved out into the wilderness, how God had delivered them through the Exodus and guided them. Let's do something like that. Let's build some booths, some tabernacles. He said, I told Jesus that, but to be honest with you, I didn't really know what to say. Because I was just scared. Now, are you surprised Peter talked when he shouldn't have talked? Are you surprised people say things when they don't know what to say? As I was studying this this week, and this is a side truth, okay? It's not one of my main points, but I think it's worth saying here, okay? If, if you don't have anything to say... Just don't say it. If you don't know what to say, just don't say anything. It's okay. Silence can be fine. Peter, 
he said, I, I don't know, because Peter launches into an area where and says something really he shouldn't have done. I mean, he missed this somewhat. Yes, he understood the value of how God's glory was being demonstrated and the great presence, but he, he missed something a little bit. I, I want to show you that as, as we look down because it says in verse 7, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. So the Shekinah glory, the Old Testament type of glory of God's presence just descended upon that mountain. The, the cloud. So that everybody in that place knew that this was God. God was acting in such a tremendous, wonderful way. And listen to the voice of God, the commendation. Very similar to the commendation He gave at Jesus' baptism. He says, this is my beloved son. Matthew tells us that he adds that same phraseology as the baptism, in whom I am well pleased. And then Mark says that he, that he instructs the disciples to hear him. Again, just a side note here, but Robert Lewis was so correct when he said that the Father gave us an example in these, of, in these words of how we dads should speak into the lives of our sons as well. This is my beloved son. I love you. In whom, in whom I am well pleased. I'm proud of you. Hear him. In other words, he knows what he's talking about. He, he's good at something. He's good at this. Jesus knew what he was talking about. Jesus had come. This is a liberating thing for us fathers to speak into our sons' lives, by the way. But the Father speaks a word of commendation. What does He say? He says, you need to listen to Jesus. You would think they would have heard. No, listen to what He's got to say. Truly, hear Him. Now, when somebody knows what they're talking about, and when somebody's coming with the right attitude, it's so easy to listen, right? Jesus knew what he's talking about. Jesus cared. The Father said, listen to him. See, when the Father sent the Son to this earth to walk upon this ground, when he sent him in such a way, he sent him to communicate to us the truth of the kingdom. He sent Him to us to show us our need for a Savior. He sent Him to us so that we would hear Him and know that there was forgiveness and life in Him. He says, when you experience this glory, hear Him. He knows what He is speaking about. There is the revelation that He is bringing to you. This is where I think Peter mixed, messed up. Peter came and he said, Jesus, could we build booths to Moses, to Elijah, and to you? Could we do that to memorialize this place? There's one problem. There's only one like Jesus. Oh, Moses and Elijah were great prophets. 
They were wonderful. They were they led the people in their own respective way. Moses literally leading them out of Egypt. Elijah speaking with a prophetic voice. They were great men. They were great heroes of the faith. But they were not truly like Jesus. Peter got caught up in the moment and said, Hey, we could just build these. I mean, we could remember everybody. No, 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 no. The Father says, Hear Him. Hear Him. It would be almost like Jesus would say, Hey, Peter, you remember back um, just a few days ago, because it had just been a few days, we were up in that region called Caesarea Philippi. You remember that? And you know, I ask you, I ask, I ask all of you who people said that I was, how they identified me. And you said there were some people that thought that I was John the Baptist and Elijah and some of the prophets. You remember that? Remember the conversation that we had And Peter, you made a confession there. And that confession was the foundation of the kingdom. The foundation of the church. Remember that confession? Oh yeah, Peter, you said that I was the Christ. I was the son of the living God. There is no other. There's no other that can display or declare the glory of God like me. There is no other. My friends, this Christmas, may we remember there is no other. So many of us in this place, we have made the confession just as Dylan did this morning as he went through baptism, a confession he had already made in his heart in life, and that is that Jesus is the Christ. We made that confession, but too often we forget that He is the only one. Too often, especially around this time of year, we just kind of think everybody's got it okay and all religions go to the same place. No! It was in Bethlehem that the Savior, the Christ, the Lord was born. It was there in Bethlehem that God truly demonstrated His glory through His Son. Listen to Him. He is the true revelation. As the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1, God who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being, get this, get this, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He was the true revelation. He was the true Savior. He was the true Christ. And He remains that true one today. He displayed and declared God's glory. He delivered God's glory in His life, 
and in His death and resurrection. Look at this. Verse 8. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Verse 9. Now as they came down from the mountain, He commanded them that they should not that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So you just had this mountaintop experience and Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves. Look at verse 10. Questioning what the rising from the dead meant. What is Jesus talking about? They still had not gotten their minds wrapped around this. Later on in chapter 9, verse 31 and 32, when Jesus will speak about what will occur again, His suffering, it says that they will not understand His saying and they're afraid to ask Him about it. It's kind of like ignorance is bliss. We don't even want to know. If He's going to suffer, I don't want to even know anything about the suffering part. Verse 11, and they asked him, saying, Who did the scribes say that Elijah? Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Verse 12, then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and when and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Elijah's already come. We know this. John the Baptist was the forerunner to announce the coming Messiah. But don't miss this of how Jesus delivered God's glory ultimately through His suffering, death, and resurrection. In the Gospel of John, the first... 12 chapters often referred to as the book of signs. The last few chapters, 13 through 20, 20 basically with an epilogue at the end, the last chapter, 13 through 20 is called the book of glory. Why is that? Because it really turns our attention to the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because while on the mountain, the white radiance, the glory is noted, it will be ultimately through the suffering and the death and the resurrection that the glory of the Son will shine forth and the glory of the Father will be known. Listen to the way Jesus prayed in John 17. He lifted his eyes to heaven. He spoke to God. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. This is going to be the true hour of glory. The angels sang about the praise and the honor that God so rightfully deserved for sending the baby in the manger. But the true glory now is going to be seen on the cross. The resurrection. This morning in just a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. For many years I pastored churches 
where when we came together on Christmas Eve night, we had a candlelight service, but we always took the Lord's Supper, usually on Christmas Eve night. I did that for many, many years. I had a deacon one time to come to me, and he said, I just don't understand why we do this. I said, you don't understand what? You know, deacons don't understand light. You know that, don't you? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. We're not having a meeting. It's holidays, all right? So you can't call a meeting today. Deacon said, I, I don't understand. I don't understand why we did Lord's Supper. I mean, this is Christmas. This is what we're talking about. The baby and the manger. And we're talking about the nativity. We're talking about all those things. Why would we talk about the Lord's Supper? Why would we celebrate that and talk about the other things? And I said to him, I think lovingly, because you cannot talk about the baby in the manger without talking about the whole of the story and even the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because He was sent for our forgiveness and salvation and it only comes through the suffering and the resurrection of our Lord. Jesus demonstrates His glory, the, the radiant brilliance of His glory, but then He pretty much says to them, get ready. Get ready. The Son of Man will suffer. It's there that you will see the glory. It is there that you'll see You'll see the Son giving all deference to the Father to please Him and to submit to His will. John the Baptist has prepared you for this. And now the time is coming. We're going to celebrate how God gave us forgiveness. Through the glory of the Son. But when we celebrate this Lord's Supper, may you not forget that the first advent or the first coming gives reason, it gives substance, it gives us the anticipation of the second advent, the second coming of Jesus as well. Because our Lord came in Bethlehem and paid the price for our sins. Because He was resurrected, winning the victory over death, hell, and the grave itself. Because of those things, one day He will come again. And Jesus prayed it this way. Again in chapter 17, as He prayed to the Father above. He said, Father... I desire that they also whom you gave me, that they may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? Not a stable, not a manger. But when He comes again, He will come as the victorious King that He is and that He will receive us unto Himself that where He is, we might be also 
so that we could do what? Behold His true glory. And one day we will see the true glory. We have seen it through the Son, the revelation. One day we will see it in different capacity. His glory. What a day it will be when we join with others and cry out, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The Son of Man is risen. We've been given the liberty to go from this place and to tell everyone that He is God's glory. He displayed it. He declared it. Yes, He delivered it. But He Himself is the glory of the Father. Let's pray together. Father, we come to You and we give thanks. We praise You because, Lord, You are You are so good. You are so gracious. And You so deserve to be glorified for sending Your Son, the very expression of Your image, to this earth for us. Lord, we thank You for the child that was born in Bethlehem. We thank You for the mission that You had for him. We thank You for the amazing teaching. We thank You for the miracles. We thank You for a perfect, worthy life. And God, we even thank You. Oh Lord, we really thank You that Your Son was willing to die for us and to take away our sins. Father, I pray that those of us in this place have trusted in You and had faith and given our lives to You so that we would really know what forgiveness is. God, today we celebrate who You are We celebrate your life, death, and resurrection. We give you the glory that you so deserve. Be with us through this moment of commitment. We pray in Jesus' name.